According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Proverbs Proverbs chapter 10, getting ready to cross into Proverbs chapter 11. But we still have the final items to close out chapter 10. God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth in preparation for the study of the word of God. Let's take a moment for silent prayer, humbling our hearts under the authority of doctrine. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your truth, rejoicing in your faithfulness. And Father, just uh, basking in the glory of, of the word of God, Father. It's, it's amazing to consider how living and active, how alive and powerful it is, how uh, it is uh, just as alive today as it ever has been. It speaks to us today in all these circumstances. Thank you for the stability that it provides, Father, whereby we are not tossed to and fro, whereby we are grounded and stable. And uh, Father, we're not as uh, certain folks who just look to the future with despair. And uh, Father, I rejoice. We can smile at the future. And I thank you for that. And I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. This is point 13 in the outline. So I've essentially taken uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 10 and outlined it on that basis. And uh, we took verse 1 and gave the introduction, and then we took the verses thereafter. And uh, then we reached uh, a point in verse 22 where it just seemed, I don't know, tedious or it just seemed um, awkward to, uh, to, to give just a fresh point to each one. I guess we could have just kept on numbering from 13 on up, uh, but... At any point, uh, when we reached verse 32 or 22, I went ahead and just lumped them all into one point of study and said, let's just take it from there. And so, uh, point 13 in the outline, chapter 10 concludes with a long chain of disconnected life principles. And they do really appear to be disconnected. There's a couple of places where you might have a tandem. Uh, verses 31 and 32 uh, is, is, is a decent tandem. And uh, I put them together under subpoint J, but for the most part, we don't have the tandems in this section like we had had previously. In the first twelve points of study, anyway, we had some uh, some tandems and we had some uh, sections that we could work with. I don't have any problem with that. Point eight, for example, uh, dealt with a six verse twelve line inclusio. And uh, it was fairly straightforward to outline it on that basis. Proverbs is a tough book to outline just because it's, it's so uh, scattered. It bounces from idea to e- uh, idea and theme to theme. And sometimes it goes back to something that had previously been mentioned. And uh, we're going to see some of that here this morning. So anyway, taking point 13 and, and using that as an umbrella point for uh, everything that follows in the remainder of the chapter. Uh, in this, we saw point A, the blessings of Yahweh. In point in verse 22, the fact that there's no sorrow added to it, there's no mixture 
of uh, regret with God's blessings. When, when God is blessing us, it's not like when we're accepting Satan's blessings or the world's blessings. Uh, there's no, there's no uh, cost. There's no price to pay. There's no regret, no strings attached, if you will. That's always the case. Whenever we abandon God's provision and we choose Satan's provision or the world's provision, that there's always a sorrow or a pain that's associated with it. Uh, we get to accept the blessings of Yahweh, the riches without regrets. And uh, I tell you, that's a verse I've been dwelling on more and more uh, ever since teaching that two or three weeks ago, whenever that was that we first reached that verse. Um, Under verse 23, I said, all right, pick your sport, uh, wickedness or uh, wisdom. Obviously, wisdom is what we want to be our recreation, to be our amusement, to be our enjoyment, to be our gladness. We're going to have themes of gladness coming up again here this morning. Uh, Our temporal fears in verses 25 and 26 what the wicked fears will come upon him. And this is an idea that we'll see again this morning as well, because I think there's a closely related principle uh, to those verses there. So uh, verses fears and desires in verses 24 and 25. The wicked has fears, the righteous have desires. And that's a kind of a neat contrast in, uh, in that. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. So we've got we've got fears in this. How do we move past disasters? We've talked about this last week. How do we move past disasters? Again, the the whirlwind sweeps through and with human viewpoint, you could look at something and say I've lost it all. It's all gone. I have nothing left. And uh, a believer with a divine viewpoint looks at the, everything and says I still have everything. Because all my spiritual blessings are in the heavenly places in Christ. And the things that are lost on earth are lost on earth anyway. I'm not taking them with me. And uh, the things of earth uh, are what they are. And so we have a contrast there. The Word of God provides the firm foundation we need for stability in the blowing winds of angelic conflict. And how uh, interesting is that to, to teach a message like that during the hurricane season while well, we've got Hurricane Matthew now that's raging through the, the Caribbean and headed towards Florida and who knows the, the kind of things. I'm teasing my brother about that too, by the way, because it's named Matthew. And so I've got an opportunity to send headlines to him on Facebook and send little email snippets to him and things just because you get these fun headlines like Matthew rampages through Haiti, you know, things like that. And uh, really kind of fun. So uh, there, there, are, used, there was a Hurricane Bob back in 1991 and, and did some damage up in New England and Connecticut and things like that. And uh, so I don't joke about that so much because when there's death involved, then that kind of takes the humor away. But uh, anyway, uh, stability, no matter how the wind is blowing, right? We're on the rock. We're on the anchor. We're not, we're not, we're not on the shifting sand and we're not going to come crashing down and all the stability that we have through the Word of God is, is a precious treasure. And that's uh, true uh, for us in the New Testament, for Israel in the Old Testament. The, uh, the value of Psalms and Proverbs here is, is just universal. Regardless of stewardship, these principles hold true. Um, among the worst disasters that we can face are the, the slugs that we're counting on, but who let us down. And uh, aspects here in verse 26, like vinegar to, to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. And so if you're depending on somebody and he turns out to be a slug and lets you down, that's, uh, that's, that's horrible, right? And that's just a, a, an awful thing to be dealing with and, and uh, 
but on a larger scope of things, why were you trusting in man to begin with? You know, uh, beyond this one particular slug that happened to let you down on this particular occasion, there's a larger principle in view that is, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Uh, we, our trust ought to be in the Lord, and that principle is there. Because beyond uh, messengers, beyond the people that are below you, if, if you're maladjusted to these principles in the, in the hierarchy or the chain of command of things, the people that are below you like a messenger or an employee or a child or, or, or a church member or whatever the case may be, well then, how are you oriented in the, in the people that are above you, are you in, in terms of your boss, in terms of, of uh, your authorities that are over you, in terms of your government, in terms of um, you know, the political election or anything else? So regardless, I think it's a narrow scope here in verse 26, uh, a messenger, somebody that's being sent. Uh, it, it goes both directions, down and up the chain of command in, in any human interaction. That uh, the trusting in man is, is foolishness. And uh, we should be trusting in the Lord. So we have uh, the Proverbs, the Psalms, Jeremiah 17.5, and uh, plenty of other passages, I think, that make this uh, scripture clear. All right. New ground now in terms of point F. And we ran out of time last week, and I wanted to be able to spell this out and, 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 and teach this. It's, it's easy enough to teach because the verses say what they say, but then to be able to kind of broaden it and get a, a larger view on the plan of God. All right, And to do so, and particularly, it, I think it's vital, uh, on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock, we're in basic doctrinal studies, and right there we're also dealing with the plan of God, and, and how God has set forth a plan from Alpha to Omega, how He's executing that plan, and that plan never gets thwarted. That plan is still on track, even though He's got billions and billions of angels and humans to deal with, and all the, the variations that come because of, uh, of volition, because of choices that are made. And all the choices and consequences, see, and even our Galatians series is going to tie in real well here because of of the law of sowing and reaping. God is not mocked. We reap what we sow. We make choices. We face consequences. And and to for for God to put into place a plan that is is just so unbelievably, mind-bogglingly amazing that it never gets thwarted. Not once does it ever get thwarted. See. Uh, is is something that that we want to have a better handle on. We want to have a better perspective for, and so uh, we can see it. Proverbs ten twenty seven: The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. And so we have a concept here of a prolonging and a shortening. And we have, uh, obviously, a temporal life that's in view, the biological life, the bios life of, uh, of physical existence, of mortal creatures here on planet Earth. And uh, uh, Lewis was pointing out today would have been his mother's birthday, except for the fact that she's not having birthdays anymore. All right, so um, that's, that's what we're dealing with. And so what is it then that can extend life and what is it that can shorten life? And what is the baseline then that is what it is? And how does that become that, <laughs> right? And, and so there's, there's larger principles, I think, that are involved. And they're good to study. They're good to know because I believe they can be manipulated. I believe they can be abused. I believe there's a, a poor approach to this concept that does not handle it in the best possible way. And because of that then... I think some people become uh, uh, fatalistic. Some people become uh, maladjusted. All right, and they say, "Well, I have X number of days, and and that's all that it is, and so who cares?" And and then so you may start making poor decisions. 
saying, well, I'm, I'm, you know, that, that, well, I'm going to live to my X number of days anyway, so in the meantime, here's what I'm going to do. And they become foolhardy. They start tempting the Lord, you see. And, and Satan tempted Jesus in this when he said, well, throw yourself down from here, and, you know, the angels will catch you. Well, you know, God, yes, we have X number of days. And if today is not my X number of days, then I'm not bulletproof. I, I can't just go down to the 360 bridge and fling myself off the thing and say, well, it's, if, it's my, if it's not my X number of days, I'm, I'm going to live through this. Well, yeah. Um, or no, this could be my Y number of days. This could be my Z number of days. See, there's a bigger picture than just X number of days. And if you limit your doctrinal understanding to X number of days, if you limit your, your doctrinal understanding to a very rigid, deterministic, fatalistic, complete, um, complete sovereignty, ignoring volition uh, understanding, then you fall short. All right? And that's what I want to try to explain here this morning. So um, we recognize that there is the fear of the Lord prolonging life and there's wickedness that shortens life. And so there is, there is a consequence to our actions and there is a response, all right, that there are conditions under which God chooses to exercise different options, different options on his part, by the way. Because who's the one that's doing the lengthening? God's doing the lengthening. Who's the one that's doing the shortening? God's the one that's doing the shortening. All within his sovereign purview, all within his, his wisdom, all within his, his role as the, as the judge to assign these consequences. All right, And so we have these different conditions, these if-then statements. All right, let's look at Deuteronomy 5.16. We'll look at the text, all, all these passages, and then we can um, illustrate some more, I think. So, Deuteronomy 5.16, we've got the second giving of the law. Deuteros means second, namas is law. So the second giving of the law, this is the restatement of the Mosaic law to the next generation after the uh, after the Exodus generation passes. And so we have another statement of the Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments, like we have in Exodus 20. It gets restated here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And you'll note the first uh, commandment with a promise here in verse 16, Honor your father and, and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be prolonged that your days may be prolonged. Now notice, uh, this, this is a problem if you're going to very rigidly hold to, well, I have X number of days, right? My days are ordained before there was even one of them. So, so because that verse says what that verse says, uh, that's the only verse I'm going to pay attention to, and this one must not mean what it says, okay? No, this one means what it says. They all mean what they say, including the one that I want to camp on. So let's quit camping on one verse to the exclusion of all these other ones. Let's include all of the verses in our rightly dividing the word of truth, in our comparing Scripture to Scripture. Your days can be prolonged. And the honoring of father and mother is, is the first one right off the bat. And here's one that you can, you can lengthen your days in your childhood before you ever leave your parents' house. You can be lengthening your days. And, uh, and you should be. That's why we want our children saved young. That's why we want them grounded in the earliest of times. We want to get them off on the right start. 
in uh, in that. And, and this is the flip side. This is a very positive thing. Uh, to the flip side to what they can do, you know, as teenagers, as adolescents, and so forth, they can commit sins and they can make choices that, that will carry harm uh, for the rest of their days on this earth. So here's uh, here's a good way to make good choices in ways that will benefit them for the rest of their time on earth. So that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you. It may go well with you. See, sometimes we ask, well, how's it going? Okay, and uh, you know that dreaded how are you question. How is it going? Well, it goes well with me in the land in which the Lord your God has given me. Okay, there's... There's a reply if you want to adapt that for, for your response. But that it may go well with you. That not only is there length of days, but then there's quality of days. There's quality of length of days. You know, I mean, are you going to stretch out your lifespan to to whatever, but the but physically and mentally and, and just everything else, you're just this decaying wreck. Uh, what are you doing? See? What are you doing? Well, the um, and, that, and that's I think was ultimately what why he posted the angel there at the at the Garden of Eden and, and wouldn't let them back in. The idea that sinners, fallen Adam and Eve, would eat that tree of life and live forever—how unthinkable is that? All right, so lengthening of days. Psalm thirty-four. Psalm 34. And I love Psalm 34. There's so much in this psalm in, um, from top to bottom, beginning to end. The one where he's, uh, he's drooling in his beard and saving his life by acting like a madman. And uh, I've always kept that in the back of my mind as a possible tactic if I ever get put in a, in a place like that. Um, but down to verse 11, uh, verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. O oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for to those who fear Him there is no want. That's a promise. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. If you don't have it, you don't need it. Not now, not yet. God knows you will. He'll provide it when you need it. But for right here, right now, you are where you need to be. He is, he is meeting your needs. He is supplying. His grace is sufficient. And uh, we can appreciate that. We have all things anyway. All things belong to us. And we belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. So we are not in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So these principles, these principles of faith rest, these principles of divine viewpoint supply, these are principles that we are blessed to be able to pass on to the next generation, to teach them to our children and our grandchildren, and to exhibit them. We're not just preaching at them, we're living it out so they can see it. They can see that we're walking by faith. They can see that we're depending on the Lord. They can see that we're not flying into a panic because of whatever. All right? And so, uh, yeah, we, we tell our children that, that we've lost our insurance and, and we don't know what we're going to do in 2017. But God knows. God's got a plan. All right? So we're not fearful. We're not panicking. We're not all running whatever. All right? And so we have the promises, we're claiming the promises, we're teaching our children about the promises, and, uh, and there you go. 
So uh, come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Now this is, this is a curious question. Who is the man who desires life? What is it that you want? And why do you want it? And how badly do you want it? You say, well, who doesn't desire life? Well, think about it. If, you, if you're already alive, then you already have it. What are you desiring? Something that you already have, but you want longer, you want more, you want, what do you want? And it's, it's like, the, the, it's like the, uh, the inordinate desire of greed. Do you desire wealth? If he provides it, great. If he withholds it, great. Uh, he's, his name is still blessed as he gives and as he withholds. So you seek from your, con- uh, stop seeking it. Cease from your consideration of it. Stop seeking to be rich. If he, if he blesses, great. If not, great. All right. Same thing with life. Same thing with life. Do you want to live to be a hundred? Do you want to live to be ninety? Do you want to live? I mean, I never thought I'd hit thirty. So I mean, so I mean, I'm already past that. So uh, if you, um, what is it that you're seeking and why? Okay, that's huge. And I know we get these human emotions and we get these things and whatever, whatever. Um. And, and that's fine. I, I'm not going to mock that. I'm not going to denigrate that. I'm just going to say the Scripture says, okay, we need to have the perspective between bios life and zoe life, our biology and our eternal life in Christ. And if one is so out of proportion that it causes us to compromise choices we're making, then we're in trouble. We're absolutely in trouble. So why are we seeking life? Why are we seeking, um, and again, who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? I mean, why are we looking forward to that? Okay? If it's, if it's beyond what it should be, if it's maladjusted, if it's inordinate, then we need to st- step back and reflect. Because I'm not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised today. That's the attitude that we should have. Say, anything else? If he if he gives it, great. You know, if if I'm older, you know, if I get to see grandchildren or great grandchildren or whatever, great. But if not, it's not going to break my heart. <laughs> if the trumpet sounds this afternoon, I'm cool with my married son not having a baby yet. That's fine. I'm not pressuring him. I'm not saying anything as their second anniversary approaches. No pressure. Okay. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> none at all. Last Wednesday we had uh, we had Dan Hawkins here from VMI, and his son was also married in 2014. And Dan has some great baby pictures with his grandbaby. <laughs> I said, Dan, I love you. I'm happy for you. And 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 honestly, I'm, there's no pressure. None at all. Even the even the gray hairs. To me, grandchildren is the consolation prize for the for the all the gray hairs you're getting. All right. But the point being, are we desiring this kind of life? Loves the length of days that he may see good. Is it necessarily better because it's longer? Are we holding out hope that well, if we just live long enough, then all these other things will work? You know, we're still going to be tested. We're still going to have angelic conflict. We're still going to have um, don't think that just living longer is going to solve these things. 
Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. See, that's what we should be seeking. That's what we should be pursuing. Making, you know, redeeming every day for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the, uh, the objective there. All right, Psalm 90 and verse 12. There is uh, so much here. Psalm 90 is uh, the Psalm of Moses, you might remember. And um, this is where the perspective of humanity is really spelled out for where it is, uh, that we're just dust creatures on our way back to dust again. Uh, God is the one that's everlasting to everlasting. God's the one who's going from the eternity past to the eternity future. We're the ones that are going from dust to dust. (laughs) Okay, That's... uh, there's a contrast. So you turn man back into dust and say, return all children of men for a thousand years in your side are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. Just a three-hour watch is all that is. A thousand years is like a three-hour watch. That's, uh, that's even more extreme than the thousand years or as a day and a day is as a thousand years when, uh, when Revelation quotes this. All right. Um, so that's the context. And then there's God's anger. And uh, uh, as this gets spelled out here, verses 7 and following, uh, verse 9 says, All our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years with a sigh. And part of God's judgment is not only a diminishing of the length of life, but also the quality of life. And so, (sighs) right? I've noticed um, that, that there's more and more sound effects when people sit down and when people stand up and when people... I mean, just different motions of the body because in this tent we groan, okay? And, uh, and so, yeah, you know, you're sitting there, you're waiting for prayer meeting to start and the next person comes in and, uh, you know, well, okay, welcome. Glad to have you here. We've got things to pray for. And then an entirely different set of grunts when we're standing up and getting ready to, getting ready to leave. That's fine. As for days of life, they contain 70 years. Or if due to strength, 80 years. Man, we used to be living centuries before the flood, in the days of Noah and before Noah. Okay, once again, that's going to come back in the millennium. Be thankful for that. Um, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. You know, if you're going to live 800 years, you don't get to retire at 65. <laughs> okay? There's more work to be done, there's longer labor. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And so here's a principle that that applies. We're going to number our days because God has numbered our days. God has provided an X number of days. He's also provided a Y number and a Z number. That's what we have to grab onto when we start to, we need to number our days like he numbers our days. We need to understand the X, the Y, the Z, and most especially the today. Today is the day that we're numbering, all right? Because today is a day that we weren't promised, we haven't earned, we haven't deserved it, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. That's what we're doing when we're numbering our days, presenting to God a heart of wisdom. Psalm 139, the one you thought I was going to start with. Psalm 139 and verse 16. 
Another great psalm where you can teach the omnipresence of God, you can teach the um, eternal life of God, you can teach all these things. Psalm 139 is you can't run away from God, you can't hide from Him. He's everywhere. And then the omniscience of God and what He sees. Verse 13, you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. The work of God and His handiwork in human pregnancy and the blessings of this. I will notice you formed me. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Not uh, an unviable tissue mass that became me when I took my first breath. You, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and, well, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Beautiful the way that uh, the poetry comes out in this. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when there, as yet, there was not one of them. Now this is the basis. This verse here is the basis for the doctrine that says we have predestined in the sovereignty of God and the foreknowledge and the wisdom and the plan and the decree and all of that, we have X number of days. But reread the verse. And does the verse say X number of, the day, of days? Is the verse limited to only a single variable, which is not a variable as soon as it's carved in stone? It stops being a variable if it's prefixed and predetermined. But it, it is, does it say X? My eyes have, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days, singular or plural, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. And I would submit, as you read that, consider, can this verse include an X, a Y, and a Z contingency option? Can they contain the XYZ contingency options? Say, the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. So did God in his book write the XYZ contingencies of the days that are ordained for me when as yet there were not one of them? The, the verse allows for that. The grammar allows for that. The syntax allows for it. The vocabulary allows for it. The context allows for it. And there is nothing in this passage that would disallow it, or that would that would uh, veto it as as a concept. Say, for example, right now <laughs> we're looking at insurance, and and what do we have? We've got not just X Y Z. I mean, we got scads of things. You know, well, do you want this deductible? This deductible? This deductible? All right. Do you want this copay? This copay? This copay? You want bronze, silver, gold? Do you want, um, you know, and then. I think there's something above gold. I just it was already scary at the the price levels I was looking at, um, and so you've got contingency options that are laid before you. See, it's not unusual to think this way, and I can prove biblically that God does think this way. God highlights the fact if the miracles had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah that that were done in you, they would have repented. So you have if and would have contingencies. And God knows every one of them. Every single one of them. David says, if I stay in Keilah, will, they, will the men of Keilah give me up to King Saul? 
And God says, yes. If you stay in Keilah, the men of Keilah will give you up to King Saul. He knows every contingency. It is normal to think this way. You pull out here at the curb at the driveway and you look, at, you look to your left and you think, if I pull out right now, that truck's going to smash me. <laughs> All right. So I don't pull out right now. I let that truck go by. And then I pull out. We all think this way. It is normal to think this way in terms of if, then, in terms of, well, if this, then that, if this, then that. The only difference being is that we are so finite, we're very limited in how far we can carry that, and sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we say, well, if this happens, then I'll do this, and then it turns out it doesn't happen because something else happened I didn't know about. And so we're very finite in how we do our contingency thinking, our contingency planning. Okay? God's not limited by that. The definition of omniscience is all things, including everything that is and everything that could be. Every actuality and every potentiality. All right? And that's, that's vital. And so when we talk about X, Y, and Z, we have, the, we have all of them are potentialities. Right? When do they become the actuality? Well, we experience it and we find out. But God knows. Say, God knows. He knows all of them. So the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So while he's still in the womb, he has not yet had his birthday, he's not yet had day one of, uh, of, his, of his air-breathing existence, all right? He has not yet had day one, but God has already ordained the X, the Y, and the Z. And it could be more than that, by the way. It could be a whole lot more than three. I'm just using the Y to represent a concept that our days can be shortened. All right. X is the is the baseline. Y is when they get shortened because of sin and a death or poor decisions or wickedness or divine discipline or other things. And Z represents any of the wide spectrum in which they can be lengthened. Okay? There's a wide spectrum in which they can be shortened. In other words, there could be a lot of Ys. There could be a lot of Zs. All right? But there's a baseline as x there's a shortened option as a y and there's a lengthened option that is a z see and uh, this is all a part of his plan first john five sixteen. there is a sin unto death i don't say that you should ask for it i don't say that you should pray for it but it is there it is the reality you don't have to like it you don't certainly don't want it God doesn't want it. God doesn't like it. But God uh, does apply it when it is necessary for the glory of His Son. He will apply it. 1 John 5.16 If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not unto death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he should make request for this. And so are we adapting our prayer life to the will of God or are we defying the will of God and asking for what we should not be asking for? I think that's a, um, that's a uh, to me, it's a terrifying thing because I see too many believers compromising with truth and praying for things that God says don't be praying for and disagreeing with God on things that God says, no, that's wickedness. That's an abomination. And there's judgment on these things. 
How are we praying for them? All right. And in particular, our culture just, I mean, sometimes it's, sometimes I hesitate to call it culture. <laughs> because our culture seems to have less and less culture than it used to have. But our culture, I find it, it's, it's curious to me how um, uh, smokers are so ostracized and so made to be villains and they're so banished like leper outcast unclean and, and they're so and i'm not a smoker i mean i used to be but i'm not a smoker and yet I, I feel bad for these poor people that have to go outside and down the block and around the corner and hide in a, in a little ghetto somewhere just to just to smoke and they're not even smoking tobacco they're using a vaping thing and then they say oh no that counts also and and it, it's bizarre to me absolutely bizarre to me and in 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 okay so so then I listen to their arguments, which are just as scientific as global warming. But then they they want to talk about well the secondhand smoke is going to damage me and blah blah blah. Um, but then here's the thing. What the 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 loss of life is is ten years, okay, on average statistically. And so okay, a lifelong smoker is going to die ten years shorter than what he would have. So his his Y is ten years shorter than his X, right? If in, in the in the in the pattern, and I think okay, well, all right, there it is. Ten years. Why is that significant? For my illustration, why is that significant? Because it's half of another self-destructive lifestyle. All right, that's twenty years, statistically. On average, statistically, the, the, the premature death of, of a practicing homosexual, they will lose 20 years. Their Y is minus 20 compared to the X had they not engaged in that self-destructive lifestyle. All right? Through violence, disease, suicide, mental health, all the other factors involved. We're just talking statistically with demographics. 20 years. And, it, and that's why it just it boggles my mind. And so here, if you have someone, if you have a loved one that's in that kind of self-destructive lifestyle, or death style, really, if they're in that self-destructive death style, is it, are, are, do we line up our prayers with God's prayers, with God's thinking, with God's expectations? Because when we start making excuses and calling good evil and evil good, when we start violating the word of God and we call it love, that's not love. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. And so the, uh, the uh, acceptance and the approval of what God calls abomination is, 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 is unthinkable to me. So there you have it, all right? X number of days, Y number of days when they get shortened, Z number of days when they get lengthened, all right? We see it there, all right, sin unto death, valid principle, illustrations, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, sin unto death, boom, right there in the early church. The pattern was laid, it was made very clear that God holds, judgment begins with the house of the Lord and, and we are the, uh, the body of Christ, Man, where are we held accountable? And God is not mocked. 
Ananias and Sapphira, they, they schemed together they, 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 to lie to the Holy Spirit, to lie to God, to lie to men, and, uh, and they become the church age paradigm for sin unto death right there. The great example. All right, back to Proverbs 10. So we have X number of days, Y number of days, Z number of days. They can be shortened, they can be lengthened. These are consequences. God administers those consequences. God may respond to our wickedness and diminish the X to the Y on the basis of things. He may also lengthen the X to the Z on the basis of things. He may assign that as a reward. Again, that's not our department, that's God's department. That's His good pleasure. Specifically, it's Jesus Christ's good pleasure because the Father has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus Christ is the one who holds the keys of life and death. And that's all in His hands. And so when, when our X, Y, or Z days are up, when Jesus Christ calls us home, then we depart this life. And that's, uh, that's His good pleasure to do. All right, on to verse 28. The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. Here's a contrast as well. And this one's fairly similar um, to fears and desires, but it's hopes and expectations. And it appears to be more uh, long-term than the fears and, the ex- and, uh, and desires. The fears and desires seem to be more focused on the here and now. The hope and the expectation appears to look long-term. And so um, I would ask under point G, what are our eternal hopes and expectations? What are our eternal hopes and expectations? Not just the desires, not just the here and now, but eternally, long-term. For the believer dwelling in the Word of God, every hope and expectation is gladness. And the reason why the eternal hope and expectation is gladness is because while we keep this as our focus, we experience that gladness here and now. We're already walking in that gladness here and now when we're in the Word of God, when we're eternally minded, when our attention is on the things above. So for the believer dwelling in the Word of God, every hope and expectation is gladness. Again, point G in the outline. What are our, what are our eternal hopes and expectations? Isn't this neat? I love this tandem. I love the two verbs. Uh, I love how the two verbs come together. Um, in the Greek... I think it's it's combined in the whole concept of elpis, the concept of hope, of or elpizo, the verb. In the, in the New Testament, hope is such that it is a, synonymous with expectation. It is a positive anticipation. Christian hope is is not is not like human wishing, right? Oh, I hope I win the lottery. When you know you realize uh, statistically, I, I'm going to get struck by lightning uh, a thousand times before I, I win the lottery. So uh, since I haven't been hit, hit by lightning yet, I should probably wait for a few more times before I start. Now my, my mother-in-law has been hit by lightning. All right, so she's closer to me to statistically being able to win the lottery, but but she's only been hit by lightning once. She needs to get hit by lightning a, a few more times. And then she'll be a lot closer statistically to to winning the lottery. All right. Hope. You know, I hope this, I hope that, I hope whatever. 
Um, we, we throw the word away, I think, in our typical idiom because it, it's just empty and meaningless, right? You know, I hope the Mariners make the playoffs. Well, they didn't, okay? So, so much for that. I'm just happy they had a winning record. That was a nice change of pace from their typical losing seasons. Um, I hope, what else do I hope? I hope, I hope the, I hope the NFL tanks financially and their viewership just plummets. All right. That's a different topic. Okay. Um, I hope, anyway, I'm done. You, You get the illustration, right? We say, I hope, I hope, I hope, but I don't have any real expectation that it's going to happen. I just hope that it happens. Why? Because in my worldview, it'd be kind of cool to see what happens then after that. Okay. So, um, but that's not the New Testament definition of hope. The New Testament, new and old, the biblical definition of hope, when we're hoping in the Lord, it is the expectation, it is the positive expectation. We are born again and and we stand in a living hope. And on that basis, we're going to see that, Romans 5, 2, in that basis then, everything we anticipate, everything we expect is guaranteed because it's grounded in the promise of our eternal life in Christ. And so we can hope day by day by day with that expectation that it's it's there it's guaranteed and so we have these eternal hopes and expectations for the believer dwelling in the word of god every hope and expectation is gladness psalm 16 this great davidic psalm that that prophesies the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that prophesies uh, eternal glory. And the, uh, the perspective that David has as an Old Testament believer to contrast temporal with eternal, to contrast physical with spiritual. And um, so much here that's in this. Psalm 16, um, the miktam of David. Preserve, uh, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. We're going to talk about refuges. That's coming up. We've got a stronghold versus a ruin in subpoint H. So that'll be our next point. Uh, I take refuge in you. Do you have a fortress? Yes, you do. And there it is. It's the Lord. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no God beside, no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth... They are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. So, so who are your heroes? David says, my heroes are people that have the same perspective I have. The saints, those that are in the word of God, those that are worshiping, those that, that appreciate this. To me, they're the majestic ones. And I agree. They are the majestic ones. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my portion, that is Yahweh, is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. Isn't that great? If we're going to be casting lots, who do you want to cast your lot? How about the Lord God of the universe? That's uh, David says, you support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. 
Since God is my God and God has cast my lot and God has, and the, the lines have fallen to me, I've got no complaints because I'm in the hands of Jesus Christ. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. When I'm asked, do I believe in counseling? Yep, right there. Okay? Scripture is going to counsel you. The Lord is going to counsel you. He's going to do it 24-7. See, you can't afford those fees <laughs> when you're paying 130 bucks a, a billable hour, which, you know, billable hour is code for just under an hour. <laughs> 50 minutes, and we'll call that a billable hour, and, uh, and we'll charge you 130 bucks for it. Well, here's one that's available 24-7 and it's free of charge. So I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. See the gladness here? My heart is glad and my glory rejoices. So I have a future eternal gladness I can be looking forward to, but I get to experience it already now in time. I have an eternal hope but it, there's the, I'm already walking in the present manifestation of that eternal hope. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. Oh yeah, guess what? <laughs> I can live this life now and when it's done, I've got good things to look forward to even then. My flesh also will dwell securely for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol not going to stay in Sheol forever. Sheol is only a compartment. It's only a holding area. Nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. See, His promised resurrection is grounded in the prophesied resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what that passage is dealing with. Your Holy One. Now, is He speaking about Himself? You might think so until you get to the New Testament, until you see the fulfillment in Christ to undergo decay well david did decay his tomb is with us to this day as it says in acts 13 you will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand there are pleasures forever so that's what he's that's his eternal hope that's what he's looking forward to he's looking forward to there and then but he's already living it here and now that make sense it is an eternal hope it is an eternal hope and expectation. And yes, he will enjoy it there and then. But he already, here and now, keeps that as the forefront of his thinking. He has the gladness. He's walking that walk. So for the believer dwelling in the Word of God, every hope and expectation is gladness. Psalm 73. Here's another one. Psalm 73. You want to know why? I mean, man, David wrote all the, uh, I'm sorry, Solomon wrote all those Proverbs, but where'd he learn all that doctrine? <laughs> like a huge chunk of it came from David. came from David and Bathsheba. I know the first nine chapters and how much of the other. I think a lot of it. There's a reason why these Proverbs of wisdom have such parallels in the Davidic Psalms. All right, Psalm 73, verses 21 through 28. This is a psalm of Asaph. begins book three of the Psalms. And uh, you'll note, there's, uh, 
there's conflict. And uh, and without reading this entire psalm, you'll notice there's uh, a possibility of stumbling. That's how it begins. Maybe I'll end up reading the whole thing here too. That's fine. It's 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 a beautiful psalm if you're not familiar with it. That uh, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. You know, and God's faithful there too. And he snatches us back. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And when you get your eyes off the Lord and start looking at how they're skating by, it it can be depressing. It can be, um, it can trip us up. Anyway, so you're going to come down through this and it talks about them and those guys and those, those guys and them and what they're doing. And um, in verse 10, his people return to this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? They're just mocking. God doesn't even know what we're doing. <laughs> we're getting away with this. <laughs> Look at us. You sucker, you're, you're living your holy life and you're this goody tissues and you think Yahweh sees what you're doing. God doesn't see you anything. We're getting away with this. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. What a waste of time. If they're right, I'm a, I'm a chump. What am I doing? Okay? Well, remember, God is not mocked. We reap what we sow. Okay? But this is the, this is the snare. This is the temptation. Uh, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning um, in this. If I had said, verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus. See, he almost went there, but he couldn't. But if I did, if I had said this, you see the counterfactual? This is part of the if universe that God creates. God thinks this way. We think this way. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Asaph has the same experience Jesus had when Jesus said, what shall I say then? Shall this cup pass from me? No, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He he, he gives voice to the alternatives. He considers the what ifs. And then he realizes, you know what? That is unthinkable. I I will will not even go there. Stop that right here, right now. It was troublesome in my sight. Not my will, but thine be done. Until I came unto the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. What's he talking about? If Asaph's a contemporary of David, I think he is. If he's a contemporary of David, then there is no temple yet. Solomon hadn't built the temple. But he comes into the reality, prayerfully he comes, he spiritually identifies with that reality in the third heaven. I came into the sanctuary of God. And even if he's not a contemporary of David, even if he is later in a contemporary of Solomon, even if Solomon's temple is existent by the time Psalm 73 gets written, I don't think he's talking about that earthly replica. I think he's talking about the spiritual realities here. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. 
you cast them down to destruction. How many are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered, and these are the verses I'm really gearing at here, when my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. When you allow yourself to get distracted, when you allow those other people to get your eyes off the Lord, to, to, to get out of, out of the Word of God, to get your eyes off a divine viewpoint, you're no longer cycling doctrine, you're no longer thinking right, what are you? At that point, you might as well be a, an animal, a beast, a creature of instinct. What are you? Because your heart was embittered, pierced within, senseless and ignorant like a beast before you. If you're not, if you're not cycling doctrine, if you're not living the Word of God, what are you? What are you living like? Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. The neat thing is, when, you, when you're in the Word of God, when you want to be in the Word of God, when you're, when, you, when you're recovering from that moment of almost stepping off, you reach out to Him. His hand is always there. Always. Always. We will not fall headlong. His hand is always holding us. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Again, I think it's beautiful. Right here, right now, I have this divine guidance. Right here, right now, I have this provision. And then, oh yeah, by the way, afterward, (laughs) you will receive me to glory. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I also, I get to go to heaven when I die. But that's just icing on the cake, almost. I mean, doesn't that seem to be the thrust here? Afterward, receive me to glory. Who have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on the earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. You see, in Adam we are afar, but when we're saved we're brought back near again. All right? The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. We get all eternity to tell the glories of what he's done for us here and now. So there's our provision. All right. We have Romans 5, 2, our living hope in which we stand. Romans 15, 13, Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. Um, we'll have to come back next week and get to those. I want to be able to talk I don't want to rush through it. I want to talk some more about this living hope in which we stand. It's called an introduction. It's through grace that we've obtained this introduction by faith into this living hope, right? We want to, we want to identify this and then what it does. See, the theology in Romans go, takes us through this justification by faith, but it doesn't stop there. It shows us then what we then do as justified ones, what we then do in sanctification, what we then do in living out that walk. And it's a walk of hope. It's supposed to be a walk of hope. So we'll pick up on this again next week, Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for these blessings. I thank you for David and Asaph and Solomon and these great heroes from the Old Testament, Father, who who uh, didn't have our New Testament. They didn't have 
the, the, the mind of Christ canon as we do, but yet, Father, they, uh, they understood this intimacy of walking in wisdom and the, the thrill and the blessing of, of uh, living out the Word of God. And so, Father, I pray that we might learn from their uh, devotion. We might learn from their example. And Father, it's, it's, it's sad in my mind. There's a lot of doctrinal believers that, that uh, uh, they're not big fans of Psalms and Proverbs, Father, but uh, they don't see the doctrine contained in it. But there is just so much. I thank you for it. And uh, continue to open our eyes and motivate us, Father, to live out the doctrine you teach us. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.